Hello. Welcome to North Coast Calvary Chapel's audio podcast. 1 John chapter 3, verse 19. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive him and, and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. I want to get into this passage with you this morning by using the word core. If you have lived at, for any time at all in north coastal county region of San Diego, you know the word core. If you don't know the word core, you have not been around your neighbors, you have not been around your physical therapist, you've not been around a, a medical facility called that, you have not been around. Uh, core is talking about the trunk of your body and whipping this body into shape. But surgeons would talk about your core as being more than that. They'd be talking about your heart and your inner organs. But as a spiritual doctor, I'm talking about something even deeper than that, and I'm talking about the core you. Paul used, excuse me, John uses this word heart, which is equally translated core, to talk about the core you. Oftentimes when we use the word heart, it's used right here in, in the early verses. The Greek is cardia. We use the word heart if we say, you know, I love you in my heart, or I just feel in my heart. That we're usually talking about our feelings, and, and heart is almost a, synony- a synonym for feelings, but not in scripture. We're not talking feelings. We're talking core you. Who is the core you in terms of what you want, what you live for, how you live, All of that is core, and the Bible tells us that you and I get to decide what our core is. The Bible tells us that how you live from the inside out is core, and the Bible tells us if we live developing the inner inner me, that we have power to change the world around us. So with that in mind, I'm going to pivot around this word core as we come through three sections of 1 John. So in 1 John 3.19, we're actually overlapping with some verses we covered last week. Again, this is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. I love how he begins here because he's saying, this is how we know. I want to digress just for a moment and talk about this subject of how we know what we know. Philosophers call this epistemology. Of course they would, a word we wouldn't understand. (laughs) But it's the idea of, of how do we know what we know and how do we decide what we know? How do we come to knowing what we know? Uh, actually, one of our campuses in, here in California, the founder, not the founder, but the guy who was, the name was given, George Berkeley, uh, he wrestled with this very subject. In fact, his philosophy is quite famous. He challenged the fact that all of the reality that we see around us 
perhaps is really not there. Perhaps this microphone and this stand is not here. Perhaps I'm not here. And perhaps it's your mind that's putting it all out there. And you think it's going on. Some of you have thought this. It's crazy making, right? Like, what if they're not here? And all these people are not here. This is your own movie going on in your own mind. Well, don't go far with that, because you will go crazy. But it begs the question, how do we know what we know? Modern uh, lifestyle, modernity, said the only way we know anything is through science and through reason. If it's not reasonable and if it's not scientific, we don't know it. But most of us, we just say, well, you know what they say, you just need to take some more vitamin E, and you, and you just want to say, well, how do we know that vitamin E is going to fix this and make me six feet tall? It's because they say so. So some of us have a very simplistic view of how we know what we know, and some of us have a very complex view of how we know. But here's the question, sorry, it is crazy making. How do you know that you are saved? How do you know that you are forgiven and going to heaven and going to live for? How do you know that? It's a great question. How many of you have ever doubted it? Okay, it's not just me. How do you know? Well, the, most people would say the Bible tells me so. And I think that's a great answer. It's absolutely, it's right there in the Bible. It's good enough for the Bible. It's good enough for me. But John actually gives us a secondary reason. In this verse, he's pointing back to the paragraph that preceded this, uh, verses 15 through 18, where he's talking about love. And he's talking about the fact that you and I have the seed of God in us, and because we have the seed of God in us, some of us use the language born again, we now are new creations, the old is gone, the new has come, and we now are emerging like a flower, learning to love other people in a way that we didn't love before. And John says, that's empirical data for you to know. You can know that you have new life because you're not as much an idiot as you used to be. <laughs> you know those pictures that are a kind of before and after? You see them all the time in magazines. We're so vulnerable as a culture. You know, you see this picture, and this picture is of a person that weighs a thousand pounds. They're a thousand years old, and, uh, and, and you know, they're three feet tall. And then there's this pill that you take this pill and you see the after picture. And they're eight feet tall, they're skinny, and they're 22 years old. And we say, wow, I'm buying that. And the power of a pretest, post-test. Well, John is actually using a pretest, post-test mindset of saying, you can know that change has happened into your life because you are more loving. It's working. If you drink Jesus, what happens? John says, you drink Jesus, you become a more loving person. Now, some of you are already thinking, ooh, <laughs> I failed the test. <laughs> Right? How many of us would say, well, I don't feel like I'm succeeding very much. 
Well, now the next verse is for you. (laughs) The next verse says, and if our hearts condemn us, we know that he is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. So if your core even says, ah, I'm not changing as fast as I'd want to change. I'm not as becoming as loving as I'd want to become. And I beg to differ with you. I think you are. I think people around you know something has happened to you. Uh, But even if your heart condemns you, guess what? There's one that's greater than your heart. The one who loved you, the one who pursued you, the one who came for you before you even knew there was a God. He's the one ultimately in charge of your life. So he rests in this great sovereign love God has for you and knows everything, but in the process, he's told us a couple of things. He's told us that, uh, that we are learning how to love And he's told us about this new faith that we have in Christ. So he moves on to new material in verse 21 and says, Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And this is where we go proactively, positively for the rest of the morning. The core you... The, the, the inside of you that has made this decision for Jesus Christ, been filled with the Holy Spirit, how do we go forward from here? And, and he answers the question now for the rest of the few verses. He says, if our hearts do not condemn us, and now I'm not a, a person that's, that's wrestling with, did it happen, did it happen, am I a Christian or not? Eventually, you have to get over that and decide, Dagnabbit, I am a Christian, It is done. I'm not going to wrestle with this anymore. Where do we go from here? John says you have this confidence. It's a growing confidence that he's going to argue that is filled with love for others. It's a growing confidence that's filled with a prayer life, and it's growing confidence of this inner relationship that you have with Christ. He says, out of this inner confidence, we receive from him anything we ask. Folks, did you hear what I just said? That you receive anything you ask. Jesus said, heretofore you have not asked me for anything. From this point on, ask me anything and it will be done for you. The power of prayer, that is part of the Christian deal, the power of prayer. And I'm not talking about the whimsical prayer of just, you know, blowing, you know, not the four-leaf clover or blowing uh, on a, whatever those things, dandelion or throwing coins over your shoulder. By the way, if you're new here, this is audience participation. I mean, you know. (laughs) They know I can't remember anything, and they help me uh, along. They push me uh, along the way. So many times our prayers are so wimpy. It's just like, oh, God, I don't know if you're here today, but if you were here, and I don't know if you love me today, but if you were loving me, and I don't even know if I'm a Christian anymore, but if I were a Christian, I pray that you would do this, that I don't know if that's something you want to do. It might not be something you want to do. You may have gotten out of the wrong side of the bed, maybe you're doing evil today, but were you doing good, then this would be a great thing for you to do. (laughs) This... As you realize, 
your core, your spiritual core is strengthened, you begin to discover prayer. And prayer changes the world. You show me a mature Christian, I'll show you a Christian who prays. I don't care how much they know about the Bible or how long they've gone to church, they pray. If I was in San Diego uh, fairgrounds, and I was in one of those tents selling something, you know, it slices and it dices, and step right up, and they got these little funny little microphones, and you know, how many will you have? You know, you buy this for $39.95, and you get 800 knives. <laughs> if I was selling answer to prayer, how many would you buy? Folks, it's true, it's real. We have this inner conversation with God himself. We're discovering the will of God. It's in the Bible. We're discovering the nature of God. It's in the Bible. And we begin to ask for things according to the will and the nature of God. And guess what? God begins to do it. Yes, it always doesn't happen the moment you pray. Yes, it always doesn't happen the way you want it to happen. Your script but as you're praying for your children, do you think God loves your children? Check. Do you think God has a wonderful plan for their lives? Check. Do you think God wants his nature in their lives and following Jesus? Check, check, check. Then when we pray, we pray with confidence. It's out of this inner relationship of confidence that we begin to pray. Not feelings, not anything else, but just because Jesus said so. He goes on to say in this passage and that we, ask, we receive anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. This is the part that I see Christians just go off the road. Say, oh, he had to use the word obey. He had to use the word commands. I hate commands. Can't we just have this feely, touchy relationship where I look at Jesus, you feeling it? I'm feeling it. Shall we do this? And just, can't we do it that way? Why is it always commands? Let me flip that for you. What if God is perfect and part of his perfection is perfect love and perfect knowing? And what if you're not? <laughs> Can we just start there? It's a possibility, right? That there is a God and it is not you, right? So, and there's a choice going on inside. It's like, I, I feel like this is what the Bible says, but this is what I wanna do. This is what the Bible says, but this is what I wanna do. Who's gonna win? Well, sadly, many times you do. And we say, I hate it. I hate those commands, so legalistic, you know, whether I rob a bank or not. You know, <laughs> why not believe he's perfect, he's loving, and Father knows best. So in these junctures where I, I'm, I'm wrestling, I'm learning obey, and it's good for me. It's actually good for me, and John is arguing that it loops back into your prayer life. 
because obedience is surrender. <laughs> Another word for surrender is trust. Another word for trust is faith. So commands aren't separate from faith. Commands are a step of faith as I say yes to Jesus. And he's in that step of trusting him, I, I'm trusting you, guess what? It bounces back on your prayer life. You see increased answers to prayer. John's just being honest about this introspective internal life with God that you and I get to go have in the inner core. I want to move on quickly to the, the, the next thing, but just to say this one last thing, can I? Sorry. If, if the American church understood the power of prayer, America would be different. Just saying. I was meeting with a, a couple of people that have been ministering in Orange County and they're moving back to Nashville. And they're reorganizing their ministry. And they came by just for a council time with me. And they said, so as we do this, what are we looking for? You know, we've got this new marketing, we've got this new brand, we're doing this. What are we looking for in terms of people? And I said, oh, that's easy. You're looking for Davids. You're looking for Davids who have a heart after God. You're looking for people who have an inner core, an inner dialogue with God, and they're learning the power of prayer. Look at Abraham praying. Lord, if there's 50 in, in, in righteous down in Sodom and Gomorrah, will you destroy the righteous, the wicked? Why would he pray such a prayer? Because he's learning the nature of God, he's learning the will of God, and that seems contrary. And so he prays it, he stands in the gap, and, he's, and he barters with God in prayer. Moses stands in the gap, and, and God says, you know, I'm not going with you guys. You guys just love to worship idols. And, and Moses says, Lord, that's, are you really not going with us? And he says, in fact, I'm going to go with you, Moses. I'm going to just wipe out the rest of Israel. And Moses in prayer says, this is not going to look good in the Jerusalem Post. <laughs> God kills people. And God says, all right, I'll, I, I'll go, but it's not me. I'm going to send my angel. And Moses says, hey, you ain't going, we ain't going. And God says, I'll go. Moses says, while I'm on a roll and I'm giving everything I'm asking for, I just ask for one more thing. It's not a big thing. I just want to see you. I want to see your glory. Now, what would drive someone to pray those kind of audacious prayers? Because he knew the will of God, he knew the nature of God, and, and, and so he's actually praying it into existence. Do you see? So there's power in your inner core, the Holy Spirit wanting to pray through you. The second thing I want you to see here is what the core command is. This is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. This is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. 
By the way, you know, some people struggle with John's writing because it doesn't feel logical. It's just like, wait, wait, I don't see the logic here. I, I put you at ease this way. Paul writes like an attorney, just building the case. Look at the book of Romans, building the case. They're just full of logic. John writes like a songwriter. He just keeps looping back around to the chorus. Love, obey, uh, believe. But then he goes off and then he comes back. Love, obey, believe. Uh, Both are valid ways, both in a modern world and an ancient world of writing. But John is like a songwriter, poet. And so a lot of this isn't steps of logic, but it's an inner intuition from which he's writing. So the core command, he says, is this, believe. (laughs) Believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. And secondly, love one another as I have loved you. Don't you love simplicity? It all boils down. You just put the test tube into a centrifuge and spin it around. There it is. Christianity 101. Believe, love. When you finish that, come back and we'll give you another assignment. Right? So what is belief? Believe is not just mental assent to doctrine on a wall. So if I say to you, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Yeah, check. That he died for your sins? Check. They rose again from the dead? Check. You believe that he's coming for the living of the dead? Yep, check. A lot of people do that in their minds. They made mental assent. But with just that kind of view of faith, there isn't anything interpersonal that's happening with you. So what happens with the word faith being changed to trust? You follow me? Like if you stand on a kitchen counter and I say, just let go and jump, I got you. Now we know whether you believe in me or not. Now you're sizing me up. You're looking at my muscles and you think, well, I don't know. If, 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 if. You see, faith needs to move from doctrine to trust. Do you trust Jesus with your life? Or you have, have you parceled out your life where you trust him with this, but not with this, you trust him with this, when you just say, okay, Lord, I'm all in. Here's another word that helps us with faith. Go from faith to trust to surrender. Are you surrendered? Surrender is faith in action. So that's who you are. That's the Christian. You are walking surrender to Jesus Christ. And it's Jesus Christ, fully God, who came incarnate, Christmas, died on the cross for you, Good Friday, rose again from the dead, Easter, Resurrection Day, and you believe it. Simple. And I'm living that surrendered life to Jesus. And then secondly, love one another as, (laughs) yes, as he commanded us. In another place it says, as he has loved us, right? Love. 
we used to sing a song in uh, Orange County, the old original Calvary Chapel. And some of you remember the tent days and this big circus tent filled with 1,800 people. And uh, we'd sing this song that went very simple lyrics. Love, 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 love. Christians, this is your call. Love your neighbor as yourself, for God is love. And we'd put, as soon as the band would strike up the song, we'd put our hands on the person to our left, around their shoulder to right, and we'd all begin swaying. Sometimes we were off on the swing. <laughs> but we'd just all begin to sway and just interview. Love, 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 love. Christians, this is your call. And we just think, oh my gosh, feel the love in the room. Feel the love. And yet, the more I read scripture, I realized we hadn't loved yet. Love is coming home and loving the person who burnt your toast. Love is forgiving your neighbor who still doesn't take their trash cans in. Love is, you know, that's love. But as we begin to love, not just in response, but proactively, hey, can I help you with this? It's because we're learning it from Jesus. He internally, in our core, is doing that for us. Can I help you? Can I love you? And now we're loving out the way he has loved us. And then he mentions the spirit. This is how we know that he lives in us. How do I know that God is living in me? The spirit. This is the first mention of the spirit in the book of 1 John. He's hinted at it with the word anointing, but the first mention, every single Christian has the Holy Spirit. We have the Spirit living inside of us. Some of us are full of the Spirit, and some of us are full of ourselves with a little bit of the Spirit. So the Bible teaches us to be being filled constantly because you leak, I leak, and we, we need to be refilled all the time. But the Spirit brings the presence of God the Father and God the Son into your inner core. It's crazy. Again, if I'm selling this at the fairgrounds, I can't believe what I'm offering. I'm offering answer to prayer. God, by the Holy Spirit, living inside of you. The representation of the Trinity inside of you. What? Oh, yeah. And in the words of Princess Bride, I've only just begun. So let's just pause right there. Is that true? That God is living at me? How can we even go through the day without stopping and saying, oh my, God is living in me. Yeah, try that on an elevator and see if they don't give you all the space you need. (laughs) How you doing? God is inside of me. What we believe is so profound is mind-blowing. Jesus taught about this very inner core life that John is talking about here by the Spirit and, and how we live it. Back when Jesus was on earth in the upper room, John 14, listen to two verses, John 14, 21. 
Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved of my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. The word there is apocalypse. I'm I'm gonna manifest myself to you inwardly. It's a blank check. I don't know how he's gonna do it. Every one of us are different, but that's amazing. And then he follows it up two verses later by saying, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. We're just moving in, and we're making our home inside your inner core. Whoa. What does your home look like? What do you like your home to look like? What makes you feel at home? God is at home with you. I like to say the spirit is the nest maker. He comes into your life and begins making the nest. If you ever watch the birds make the nest? Uh, Just making the nest. Usually you see the mom laying a bird, laying out all the twigs just the way she wants them and the dad flying and getting them and saying, I know, you're the homemaker. You know how you want these twigs to be laid out. He just goes and gets them because he dare not figure out how to rain the furniture. <laughs> the spirit is the nest maker inside of you, bringing the presence of the father and the son. Amazing. He's living inside of you. So it's out of this relationship, living from the inside out, that we live as a Christian. The third thing is core protection. Dear friends, verse one of chapter four, Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how we can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. There's the doctrinal test again. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard is coming in now, even now is already in the world. So you and I live in a world that is filled with voices that are coming at us from Washington, from New York, uh, from uh, Hollywood, and they're all saying different things to us. I'm not just talking about fashion, I'm not just talking about movies, I'm, I'm talking about socialization. The world wants to socialize you. Our educational system wants to socialize you and has a view of what you should be and look like. Did you know? This world is not neutral. So, what do we do? What do we do? We can't listen to every voice. Not every voice is the voice of God. In John's day, there were men that rose, sorry, women, but they were men that did this. The women didn't do this. The women didn't 
turn into false teachers in this case. It was men. And these men were false teachers, small a antichrist, that were actually, they thought what they were doing was good for the people, but they were actually doing it, they, they were doing what was anti-God, anti-Christ. So John gives us the test. This is how you'll know. You may be a young Christian, and you don't know that not everybody has the same view of Jesus. On a scale of one to 10, some people think he never existed, and they're just not willing to live in reality that even atheists would admit that Jesus existed. But then other people think he's just a good man, just a good teacher. Then other people think that maybe he was some kind of a wizard that was able to get lucky sometimes and do some uh, crazy, wonderful things. Some people, like these heretics, believe that the spirit came on this man, Jesus, at his baptism and left before he was crucified. Some people believe that Jesus was an angel. Yeah, that's a cult that came right out of America, that Jesus was just an angel. Some people believe that Jesus was the son of God, like just like you someday will be the son of God and you'll have your own planet uh, and, and solar system to rule over. There's a lot of crazy views of Jesus out there. So which one is the right one? Paul, John tells us right here, and he's been telling us all along, it's Jesus, it starts with Jesus, it goes with Jesus, it ends with Jesus. Jesus, fully God, came the incarnation. You're kidding me. He climbed into human flesh. I know, that's why it's so crazy. And it was God himself who shed his blood for you, not just a good man. And it was the son of God raised from the dead that was the power of the erection that now is working in your life to change your life. I know, that's amazing. And that's what we believe. It's what the Bible teaches. And it's what the spirit and God inside of you is emanating, saying, yeah, that's the truth. That's the truth. So, as you go through this world, it sounds uh, a little bit like I'm an alarmist, but there are some people here this morning who won't be with us a year from now or three years from now or 10 years from now because we'll listen to other voices. We'll hear these other voices and they'll say, yeah, don't you kind of think like everybody just goes to heaven no matter what they believe? Don't you just kind of believe that as long as we're sincere in our hearts, you know, and think we don't have cancer, then we really don't? As long as we're sincere, we'll begin to la, la, la ourselves to sleep. But John is saying, be strong in your core. Be strong in your core because out of that, you're gonna become a prayer warrior. Be strong in your core because out of that, you're gonna realize that there's a world out there to love, but be strong in your core because out of that, uh, you're gonna be protected from all the voices that are out there in this world. There's a great scene from uh, The Silver Chair that I wanna remind you about. How many of you have read The Silver Chair, Narnia? This is not to see who's cool or not cool, you know, just. Uh, <laughs> So maybe a third of us. We've, so 
in, in this amazing story, um, there's these children, two children, and this creature called Puddle Glum. And Puddle Glum is kind of like a, he's a marsh wiggle that is kind of like part human, part frog. You know, if you can picture that. And he's got these big web feet. And uh, so they're in the underworld to rescue the true prince of Narnia who's been uh, captured by this wicked green witch. And every day there's a point in his life where he, he comes to his senses and he realizes he's really the prince. And all of this has been a lie that the witch has told him. And she straps him in this chair so he can not be with anybody else to hear the truth for that hour that he knows the truth. And then he goes back after that to be under the spell of the witch. And this happens while the witch is gone and the children are in the prince's presence. And the witch comes back into the scene at that moment and she sizes it all up and she's looking around and she throws some green potion into the fire to start the spell to fall onto the children and the marsh wiggle. And she picks up her lyre and begins to play uh, this song. And, uh, and as the children are falling asleep under her spell, she's saying, you know, there is no overworld, which would be like saying you, there's no heaven. Isn't that a nice idea? Heaven, we all live happily ever after forever. What a nice idea. And she keeps playing, and, and they, they, they come to their senses. They say, well, wait, there's this lion that's like Jesus. He's, he's like, his name is Aslan. And, and she says, oh, the story is better than I thought. Tell me about Aslan. And, well, he's this large cat. Oh, and she says, oh, I love kitty cats. Isn't it amazing how our imagination can take a little cute kitty and make it into Messiah Kitty? Uh, and, and she keeps doing that with every idea, and Satan has done that with every idea you have. Isn't that nice that he could forgive you of all your sins? Isn't that nice that you get to go on and live for? Isn't that nice that you now have love in you and you're, and we begin to doubt. We begin to doubt, and there's a moment where this silly little marsh wiggle sees what's going on, and he walks over and puts his big web foot on the fire to stamp out the spell and the smell of marsh wiggle in the room wakes up everybody. <laughs> and he says, even if my Aslan is not true and even if the overworld is not true and even if all of these things are not true, what is in my imagination is better than your blankety blank blank world down here. And all of the children wake up and they say, good going, Puddle Glum. You're right. It is true. Folks, we live in the land of spell. And it's only as we strengthen our core in Jesus that we can make it through and make a difference rather than just existing. So we decide 
today. I believe. I decide today. He's called me to love, and I decide today I'm going to obey because that'll strengthen me, and out of my inner core is going to be me who changes the world instead of the world changing me. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you're faithful to speak to us, you're faithful to love us. We thank you for your whole. And this morning, God, we, we want to re-surrender, the surrender we've already surrendered. Holy Spirit, because we read about you this morning, we invite you afresh to fill us. We invite you afresh to make your home in us, bringing the presence of the Father and the Son inside of us. We invite you to fill us with love for other people. We invite you to make us strong in in our faith, in our wonderful Savior, Jesus, who he is and what he did. And we invite you to make us people of prayer that in our prayers are changing the world to the will and nature of God. God, give us core Christianity. This morning while we're praying, while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, you may be sitting here thinking, wow, I'm just drifting. Or maybe I've I've just drifted away. Or maybe I've just really never made a decision and it's decision time. I've never thought of following Jesus this way. And I'm in. And if that's your decision this morning, you're deciding between you and God, you're in, you're following Jesus his way. I want you to raise your hand where you are. I want you to make that decision. Either for the first time or returning to Jesus Christ. I want you to raise your hand and make that decision here today. Yes, God bless you in the back, here to my left, another one to my left, another one down here to my left, and over here to my left, and way in the back to my left. Yes, on the aisle as well. God bless you all. And right here in the middle, yes, God bless you and you in the back. Over here to my right, yes, God bless you. God bless you. You look up at me, you'll see I'm waving at you. Any others? Yes, God bless you here on the aisle, right in front of me. Yeah, way in the back, amen. Got you. And back here as well, thank you. I see you. If I missed your hand, God sees it. And and it's your inner core making this decision today. I want you to pray this prayer quietly as I pray it out loud. Lord, come into my life. Make my heart your nest. I want to be a core Christian that lives from the inside out. Wash me and cleanse me, for today I surrender to Jesus Christ. 
Forgive me of all my sin. Fill me with power. Give me this inner confidence to begin to pray, to begin to love, to begin to hear your voice and not all the others, and to begin to obey. For from this day forward, Lord, I'm your child. I'm yours. I'm in. And I pray this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening this week. If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, please visit our website, northcoastcalvary.org.